Hey everyone, my name is Adam and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. At the end of today's episode, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. Well, good morning, and, and glad to see that some of you are moving forward just a little bit. That's a, that's a lot better. Why don't we take a minute and pray before we jump into our subject this morning. Heavenly Father, it is uh, really our heart's desire that we don't want to miss what you'd want to say to us, that your words are life-giving. Lord, they, they provide a light for our path, oh Lord. You, you steer us in the way you want us to go, O oh Lord. We're grateful that you love us so much as to communicate with us. We recognize you could have created all things and then just abandoned us, but you chose, O oh Lord, to be intimately involved with our lives to the very point of sending your own son to take on flesh and blood in order to live among us so that through faith in him we could have eternal life. And we are grateful. Do speak to us through our time together. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like to think that I'm the kind of uh, person who listens well. I would like to think I'm teachable, that if someone brought something to my attention that I needed to change some area of my life or where I'm asked to do something that's important, that I'd like to think I'm the kind of person who would act and I would do it. But I recognize that's not always the case. I realize that there are some times when I can be a little bit stubborn. There are some times... In, in which I don't, I don't want to listen. There are times in which I need to learn things the hard way. And maybe you can relate to that. I would suggest that that occasion about a year and a half ago when I was admitted to the hospital would be an example. My wife would say, I didn't listen. I didn't listen to what she had to say. And I know many of you are familiar with the story, but I woke up one Sunday morning and my stomach was hurting. Um, in fact, it looked distended, almost like I was pregnant. I did the services and then jumped in my car to go my, to my cabin. I was going to spend a few days there, and that night I'm talking to my wife. She says, you need to go to the doctor. I don't want to go to the doctor, you know? I mean, part of it was that I, you know, I was two hours away at my cabin, but part of it was that I don't, I, I don't like the idea of going to a doctor only to be told that you have a stomachache. You know, I figured I, my system's just backed up, and then the second day I talking to her in the evening. She says, you need to go to the doctor. And I think, well, yeah, yeah, eventually, you know. Third day, it was the fourth day. I finally need to go back to, you know, I was coming back to Morgantown anyway. It was the day before Thanksgiving. I was gonna help out with preparations and whatever, but I went to the doctor and found out things were much worse than I would have thought. He identified that this looked pretty serious, set up an appointment with the surgeon right away. The next thing you know, I'm wearing one of those immodest hospital gowns. I don't know who designed those things. And the doctor wanted to remove my appendix laparoscopically, you know, so they put a few holes here and there, about five of them, and looking around, and he almost panics, cuts me open. My appendix had died, turned gangrene. He told me later he went to remove it. And it was like paper tearing. He said, it just, was, it just was a mess. Your organs, he said, they're glued together. My colon had stopped working. Now, in my defense, 
Um, I didn't have some of the symptoms associated with appendicitis. I, I just didn't. But, you know, I wasn't doubled over in pain. I just was really, really un uncomfortable. And, um, and I wasn't throwing up, which is one of the symptoms as well. And so, in fact, when I went to the doctor, I don't know if I even had a fever, but I, it was a mess inside. And, and for the next nine days, I was in the hospital. And every day, for the first three or four days, the surgeon came in and he'd say kind of the same thing. Number one, people die from what you have. Number two, you're not out of the woods yet. And number three, we might have to go back in and do another surgery to remove part of your colon. It's really quite serious, but everything went well, and the surgery went great, and toward the end of the time when I was there, and this is where it kind of connects with where I'm going this morning, the doctor asked me the question, so what did you learn? And I thought that he was looking for an answer like God is sovereign, you know, and God works through doctors or something like that. And before I even answered, he said, the lesson you learned was that you need to go to the doctor when your wife says you need to go to the doctor. <laughs> so, well, I guess that was one of the lessons, but why don't we learn? Why are we so slow to learn? Why is it that we sometimes have to go through the things the hard way? I think if, if you think about your own life, there are occasions where you should have listened and you didn't. Or you didn't pay attention, maybe even something happened to you because of your foolishness or whatever, but you didn't, you didn't learn anything from it and you had to repeat it. I know some people who've gone through the same types of bad things because they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't learn the lessons along the way. And so it's like they had to, they had to repeat it. And, and we don't listen sometimes to people. We also, I think, sometimes don't listen to God. And I can think of a couple of occasions in my life where I was convinced that God was telling me to do something, you know, it's hard to prove it, but I was convinced God was telling me to do something and I said no. I didn't wanna do it. And you think about the presumption of that just for a minute. The creator of the universe is telling you to do something. You're, you're, you're convinced that that's what he wants you to do, but you're saying no. I, I say no to you, the one who created all things. And I suspect again, we've all done things like that before. The psalmist David wrote in Psalm 32, 8 and 9, and these are quoting the words of God. He said, speaking for God, I will instruct you and show you the way to go with my eye on you. I will give counsel. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit or bridle or else they will not come to you. You know, it's a wonderful thing that God wants to teach us. He wants to lead us in the way to go. He wants to speak to us. But we're told, don't be like a, a horse or a mule. The only way they'll come to you, it's, you, you call them, they won't come. The only way they'll come to you is if you drag them. Put a bit in their mouth and bring them over. Come on over here, you know. And, and David was saying, we just don't want to be that kind of person that needs that before we'll listen. Don't we need to be better about listening and obeying and doing. Now today we're beginning this new series based on the Old Testament book of Jonah, basically one chapter each week. And as we'll see in this first week, God told Jonah to do something that he did not want to do and so he decided to do just the opposite. And he learned some lessons the hard way and I think part of the reason this is included in the Bible is so that we don't have to be swallowed by a fish before we'll learn a lesson.
But I'd like to begin reading the story, Jonah chapter one, verses one through three. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness has confronted me. However, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Now, let me give a little background here. Jonah was a prophet who lived in the eighth century before Christ. A lot of scholars believe that his ministry extended the 40 years between 793 BC and 753 BC. In other words, between 750 and 800 years before Jesus would be born, this guy was prophesying. And I'm convinced he was a real prophet. He's mentioned in both the Old and the New Testaments as a real guy prophesying to the people. And so I'm convinced too that this story that we're going to read about is a real story. It's not just a big fish story. People say, well, it's supposed to illustrate something. No, the, the only reason you'd arrive at that conclusion is if you've decided ahead of time that God can't do it, that it's just a story that couldn't happen. But everything about it, the, the history, the places, everything about it is historically completely accurate. And so I take it as a real story. But he was told by God to go and preach a message to the city of Nineveh, which was located 550 miles away. And basically the message that he was supposed to deliver to the people was judgment is coming. That, that your, your wickedness, your unrighteousness has reached up all the way up into heaven and judgment is coming. Now, he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to deliver that particular message. And I think there are a number of reasons why that he didn't want to do it. Uh, number one is that they weren't Jewish. And I think it was hard enough, by the way, for a prophet in his day to prophesy to Jewish people who wouldn't respond to the message, let alone ones he would have regarded as pagans, and so he didn't want to do it for that reason. Second, the Ninevites were viewed as, as enemies of Israel, and they had, a, they had a reputation of being incredibly violent and cruel people, but they were enemies of Israel, and so Jonah didn't want to deliver the message because as we learned in chapter four, he was afraid if I, if I give this message, they might actually listen to it, and then God in his kindness will not judge them. And, and frankly, Jonah wanted them to die. He wanted them to die. That's, that was why he didn't want to do it. It was the main reason. I, I, just don't, I just don't want to deliver the message. And I want to make, make a couple side points at this point. Number one is that it's stories like this that demonstrate to me that the Bible's true, that it's the word of God, that the heroes in the Bible, the priests and prophets and kings and, and other people in the Bible are, are so real. They're, they're just, that's, I understand Jonah in this story because I'm, I'm like he is, and, and there's no attempt to make him better than he is. He was a prophet of God. You'd think he and God were really tight, but he was the type of guy that would say no to God and the type of guy that would say, I hope that whole city dies. That's the kind of guy he was, and, and this to me speaks about how real it is. Second, I think one of the lessons of the story that I, I hope we won't miss is that this is how God tends to deal with nations. Throughout the pages of the Bible, both with cities and nations, there comes a point sometimes where that city or nation is so, so wicked, so godless, so cruel, 
It's usually a situation where the injustice is just appalling, that there's just no justice left. The immorality in the city is so extreme. The idolatry, everything about it, that, that God has determined that, that he wants to destroy that city or that place. And that bothers a lot of people, by the way, that God would judge a whole town or a, a country, but realize that sometimes life is not worth living in a place like that. It might be very much the grace and the kindness of God, the compassion of God to say, you know, life's not worth living there. I don't want any more people being born in that environment. But what I want us to understand is that God was going to warn them. And this is what God does in the pages of the Bible time and time again. When a nation gets to a certain point, he tries to get their attention. And he does it in a variety of different ways, sometimes by allowing an enemy to attack, sometimes through famine or pestilence, through diseases, certain things to get our attention because he would much rather show grace and forgiveness than judgment. He'd much rather not have to go that route if people would actually listen and respond. And so I think we need to be sensitive to that. But anyway, going back to the story, Jonah didn't want to go because it was a Gentile audience and, and they were Israel's enemy. And there might have been a third reason why he didn't want to go. I'd suggest it's because it wasn't going to be a comfortable trip. Uh, a person in biblical times crossing the desert like that could go about 15 miles, maybe 20 miles in a day. It was going to take him over a month to get there in hot desert conditions. The guy did not want to do it. And so he said no. Now, Jonah knew better. He was, he was a, a prophet of God, and I don't know if he thought he could get away with it. I, I don't know for sure if he thought he could hide from God, but I do think he thought that if I'm going the other way, they, they won't be able to use me. You know, God won't be able to use me. He'll find somebody else, another person to do it. I think that's probably what he was thinking. Anyway, he got the word to go to Nineveh. What did he do? He, he went the 35 miles to the other uh, direction to a town called Joppa. 35 miles, two days he traveled down there. He took a ship, it was located by the sea, and he was on his way to a place called Tarshish, which most scholars believe was in Spain. He was going, going 2,500 miles the other direction. Talk about deciding you don't want to do what God's asking you to do. I mean, he was getting as far away as the known world. Unbelievable. I don't know how he thought this thing was going to end well. And maybe he did think God couldn't find him if he was hiding in the ship or something. He didn't understand what David wrote in Psalm 139. David said, where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? He said, if I, if I ascend into heaven, you're up there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, you're down there. David understood you cannot hide from God, but I think Jonah might have been trying to do that. He boarded the ship, though, and he was on his way. So we continue reading in verse 4. Then the Lord hurled a violent wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing? Sound asleep, get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. I find it a little bit ironic that it, it takes an idolater, someone who works, worships other gods, to be the one to tell him, you need to, you need to pray. 
telling a prophet of God you need to pray. This storm must have been a big deal. Of course, Jonah's down in the belly of the boat. I don't know, he, I don't know why he was so tired or whatever, but it was probably like a hurricane. The guys that were running this boat were likely, probably almost 100% likelihood, they were Phoenician, where he picked up the boat. And, and the Phoenicians were world-renowned in both their ability to build ships and to navigate them. They were the best in the world. And they were scared to death. I'm imagining these waves, you know, 50 feet high. And, and it's interesting to me that they're not afraid that the boat's going fill to up, fill up with water or tip over. They were afraid that it'd break apart. So you can you imagine this scene where it's being battered. And they ended up having to toss all their cargo. Now you realize that if they did that, it was pretty serious because that was their profit. Maybe they would have even been required to pay it back. I don't know. I'm just saying it was a really, really bad storm. We continue in verse 7. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots, then we'll know who's to blame for the trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lots singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who's to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business, and where are you from? What is your country? And what people are you from? He answered them, I am Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the people were even more afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. Casting lots in biblical times was a very common practice, both in Israel plus other nations. A website called answers.org kind of explains what they would use to do it. They could have been, they write, sticks of various lengths, you know, like who gets the longest stick type of thing, flat stones like coins or some other dice, kind of dice. But their exact nature is unknown. The closest modern practice to casting lots is likely flipping a coin. And so God in, in biblical times used to lead Israel. There are several occasions where God did that. He led Israel through the casting of a of a die or a lot, and other nations did this too. The assumption was that God would lead somehow through this. So let's find out, and in this case, of course, that's exactly what God did. Another scholar by Dr. Hannah suggests perhaps marked stones were put in a container, and one was taken out. God expressed his sovereignty over Jonah's affairs, causing the lot to fall on his disobedient prophet. Now, when this crew found out what Jonah had done, their response, it's a really good, really good question. It's like, what have you done? In, in biblical times, most of the nations believed that gods were kind of localized to various regions or they had authority over various realms of nature. So there'd be the god of the, the storm and the god of the sea and the god of the plains and that type of thing and different gods in different cities and whatever else. That's what they believed. But when Jonah answered the question, my God is Yahweh, he dwells in the highest heaven and he's the one who created the sea and the land and really what he's saying is everything. God is over everything. They could not, these sailors could not imagine him defying such a god. What? What have you done? And yet, I think it's a question sometimes we should ask ourselves, you know, why do we disobey God when sometimes we know exactly what he wants us to do? 
either revealed clearly through the pages of the Bible where God says don't, or God says do and we don't do it, or a spirit leads us sometimes. Why do we disobey God? But Jonah did that. But let's finish reading the story, and then I want to talk about it a little bit. Verse 11, again, Jonah chapter 1. So they said to him, what should we do to you to calm this sea that's against us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it may quiet down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this violent storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more, as if it couldn't get worse, you know? So they called out to the Lord, please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with innocent blood, for you, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now, the Lord had appointed a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. Again, I'm convinced that's the story. Jesus even referred to this as a foreshadowing of his own burial and resurrection, that it was, Jonah was a picture of that. I want to make three observations, though, about the story. Number one is I was reading it a a week or two ago, and a question popped into my mind, and I'm going to take a stab at the answer, but the question was, why did Jonah tell them, you have to throw me in the water? Uh, and, And the reason I wondered about the question is because I wondered why Jonah didn't just jump. Why incur guilt on these guys? Well, what you need to do is throw me in the water. Why didn't he say, I know I'm to blame, sorry guys, and just jump in himself and die? He didn't do that. And as I was reflecting on it, I thought, well, I think that the answer is that, once again, I think a main part of this story is the sovereignty of God and doing what God says and our ability to listen. And Jonah was a prophet of God, and this is how God wanted it to unfold. I think God is the one who revealed to Jonah that the way this thing is going to be resolved is they have to throw you in. And so it comes down to the question, will they listen? Will they listen to what God is saying? And at first they didn't. Initially they didn't do it. And then that storm, it says, it got worse. And they realized if we don't do it, we're all going to die. So they picked up Jonah and they finally obeyed. Second point I want to make here, and it's really what this story illustrates to me, is that sometimes you have to reach rock bottom before you're going to do what God wants you to do. That's unfortunate that that's the case, but that's part of what this story is about. To what level do we need to go before we'll finally say, okay, God, I'm I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to go this direction. I'll do what you ask me to do. What does it take to get us to that point? What I want you to notice about this chapter is that the words up and down are used a lot. It starts with the word up, but then things go down. They go downhill pretty quickly. For example, in Jonah 1 verses 1 and 2, we read, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up, go. Things are looking kind of positive. Get up. Then we go to verse 3. 
However, Jonah got up to flee. So he, he got up, but he wanted to flee. He didn't do exactly what God wanted him to do. I want to suggest at this point, things now started to go downhill. So we read in Jonah 1.3, second part of the verse, he went down to Joppa. Then we continue in verse 3. He found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into the ship. And he went down into it. So he started going down to the town. Then he went go down into the ship. And then in verse 5 of Jonah 1, when things got dangerous, we read, they threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel. So he's not just in the, going down into the ship, he's going down to the very bottom part of the vessel. Then we skip to verse 15 and things get worse. It says they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, knowing that he would sink like a rock. And so now he went, he's not in the boat anymore, he's going down, in, going down into the water. Then skipping to chapter 2 and verse 6, we read Jonah's words. He said, I sank to the foundations of the mountains... The earth with its prison bars closed behind me forever. That's what I call rock bottom. I think to the very bottom where the mountains are born, all the way at the bottom of this, that's, that's what it kind of took for him to repent. That's what it took for God to get his attention. Of course, God in his mercy sent a big fish to swallow him. Not a, not a whale, by the way. Would have been a, a, a very large fish or a shark of some kind. I understand that a whale's throat is too small for this. But he was swallowed now in the belly of this fish. But he had reached rock bottom, and, and hopefully it doesn't require that for us. But let me mention a third observation about this, and that is that everybody and everything in the story obeyed except people, and specifically Jonah. Everything about this story shows that every, everything, all of creation listens to God except rebellious people. So God commanded early on the sea, and it raged. God commanded the lot, and it was cast, and it pointed to Jonah. That was God orchestrating that. Then Jonah told the sailors to cast him in. At first they didn't listen, but then they listened, and they obeyed. Then we read that God commanded a fish to swallow Jonah. I imagine the uh, fish rebelled at first, like, please, do I have to? And then God commanded the fish, if you keep reading, to vomit him up. God commanded the stone, to st uh, the sea, to stop its raging, and it stopped immediately. That's some, one of the things that freaked out these, these sailors. And then in the stories, you keep reading, God spoke to the Ninevites, and they listened, and they repented. And then God commanded a, a plant, and it grew immediately. And then God commanded a worm to eat the plant, and it, it obeyed. And then God caused an easterly wind to come, and it obeyed. The only ones who had any trouble obeying God in the story was people because God has created us with the ability to say yes or no to him. God gave us a choice, a free will, just like with Adam and Eve. He said, don't eat from the tree, but the choice is yours. Just don't do it. Because it never goes well when we don't do what God says. The reason God says do things or don't, things is be, don't do things is because it's for the best for our lives. And God knows that. 
But we don't listen. Sometimes people are the problem. And, and Jonah started out with the biggest problem, his inability to listen and do what God asked him to do. So what do we do to apply this to our lives? Well, I want to ask some questions here by way of application that I want to encourage you to ask yourself. The first one is just ask yourself, do you have a heart to hear and listen to God? Are you the kind of person who would listen? And by the way, you could ask other people that, especially someone close to you. Am I the kind of person who listens well? I respond, but especially listening to God. And if your heart is not the kind that responds to what God says, then I want to encourage you to pray, God, change my heart. Give me a heart that wants to do what you want me to do. Because again, I tell you, God's ways are the best ways. Anytime we go off the path from what God says is good and right, it, it, it is not good. It just doesn't end well. Everything he says is for our good. Second question, another question I want to ask is this, is there something in your life that God may be trying to address, but you've refused to listen or obey. I just want to think through, is there something? Is there some habit that God wants you to abandon? Is there some way in which God wants you to treat someone, but you refuse to do it? Maybe God wants you to communicate or share your faith with someone. You've been unwilling to do it. Are you willing to do what God wants you to do? Is there something specifically God wants you to address in your life? And then third, I'm convinced that God... Uh, primarily speaks to us through his word. He also speaks through his spirit, but he speaks through his word. And I just want to ask you how responsive you are to what God wants to communicate to you as you're reading your Bible. Because when I'm reading my Bible, I start, first of all, by saying, whatever I'm going to read here today, I just want you to reveal yourself to me because God's word helps us understand what God is like. But also, I want a heart to do what you want me to do. You know, give me a soft heart. About a week, week and a half ago, I was reading a story in, the, in Second Chronicles about a king named Josiah. He was about eight years old when he became king of Israel. At the age of 16, he began to really seek God. And then two years later, he ordered that the people would clean out and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, which was, had been destroyed and idols had been put in there. And he just wanted to clean it all out and begin really worshiping God. But in the process of cleaning out the temple, they found a copy of the law of Moses, the word of God, and they brought it to the king and said, we found this while we were cleaning. And the king had them read it to him. He's 18 years old. He had them read it to him. And as they were reading, he tore his garment as a sign of mourning. He broke down and cried. He thought, boy, we've... As a nation, we so turned against God and his judgment was coming and he was so soft in his heart toward God. And so he sent some people to a prophetess and asked, is all this going to happen right away? And her response was, because when you saw that and you heard that, your heart was tender and you wept before me and you listened to me. It is coming, but not in your lifetime. You will die in peace. And he is for us a wonderful example of how we need to listen and respond to the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we want to have a heart that does listen and respond to you. We acknowledge your ways are good and right and pure. I recognize that there are so many forces in our world today that want to discredit what you've clearly taught in your word. But give us a different heart to do what you ask us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.